It was probably about 12 years ago. I was teaching in a class from a book that's fairly famous. You guys probably have heard of it. It's The Ideal Muslimah. Shout out to the women that did the book club with us for that one. And um, I'm teaching the class and, you know, beautiful, beautiful accounts of so many things have had to be a really good Muslim woman, right? And so at the end of the day, like maybe halfway through the class, I saw one of the sisters, her face looks so down. And I was just like, subhanAllah, usually these inspire women, right? So I pull her to the side at the end of the class. I'm like, hey, sis, you know, I noticed your face was a kind of way. What was going through your mind as we were going through the information? And she's just like, you know, subhanAllah, I don't think I could ever be like these women. They are perfect. The ideal Muslim, like these is just perfection. And I am not like that. I'm broken. I'm full of mistakes. I have a temper. I have this. I have that. And she was just going on and on. And I was like, sis, I think we didn't get to all the stories yet. And I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised that you don't have to be submissive and nodding your head. And like this is in some kind of like, oh, like pious woman. Like this is this is not the vision of piety or goodness that there was in that time. It was a little bit different than that. And I want you to just hear me out. Would you mind to just go on for another story? She said, yeah. So we go into the next class. And by the end of it, I was like, so now what do you think? She's like, subhanAllah. That one, it made me get it. And I said, awesome. Alhamdulillah. So today I'm going to tell you the account that I told of the the mother believers that I'm going to tell you about today. I think you're going to love it. And you're going to understand there is this balance between us being super strong and super passionate about the deen. So let's get into it. Let's go. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Welcome back to the Mindful Muslima Speaks podcast. I am your host, Mindful Muslima, um, licensed educator of 25 years, mom of five, big sister to the community. Just love, love connecting with you all on topics that you want. 95% of what we choose here is topics that come from you, just DMing me, requesting. And so we love to cover another topic, which is something related to kind of getting examples of what good looks like. How many of us are going through Ramadan trying to be better, trying to be good? But like, what does good look like? A lot of us think that women in Islam, to be amazing, really practicing, quote unquote, Muslim women, we have to have this level of perfection and like righteousness that seems sometimes to us unattainable. Like that was for back then. I couldn't do that now. That doesn't look anything like me or where I am right now. I have a way to go. And then we start to kind of give up on herself or find it difficult. But I think you are going, I know you're going to love today's podcast because to me, honestly, I'm going to, I'm going to totally go crazy and throw this out. But I feel like this could be one of my best podcasts ever. Not because I'm amazing or anything like that, but because this is so inspirational. The actual um, stories that I'm going to tell you today that are from the Sirah, so inspirational. And so I want you to know that today you're going to hear by the end of this podcast and walk away with examples, like real life examples of what the best of women were like. And you're going to notice that it is not perfection. You're going to see them struggle. You're going to see them struggle with anger issues, 
jealousy and all types of of um, personal things that might happen and disappointment and sorrow but you're going to see how they manage it so that you can do the same. And you're going to notice that we're not so far. We can do this. We don't have to be perfect. And you're going to see that through these amazing inspirational stories. I know you're going to love it. And inshallah, bismillah ta'ala, you're going to have a better idea of what good looks like so you could attain it too, inshallah, bismillah ta'ala. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala help us all to gain the benefits of these last 10 days. Right before I go in, I want to say that at the end of the podcast, I'm going to be shouting out some of you. Thank you again. Like, to the bottom of my heart. Thank you for all of you that have been sharing it on uh, your stories, the podcast and everything. You have been leaving me tons of reviews. Thank you. If you are a longtime listener and really want to benefit other women and help that they can find this help that has helped you, please leave us a review. It's the way the world works these days, right? (laughs) People just will not stop unless they see the good review. So we'd love if you just pause it right here, left us a review and let us know what has been really touching your heart so we can do more of that and inspire more women to get help too. Thank you so much. So right before I go on, last thing I want to mention is we have in the last 10 nights an amazing project. We love for you, if you love what we do here to support our women, down below I'll put a link. We are having a revert project where we are helping these women get the resources we need. They often come into this dean and they make shahada, and then after that, there's really no support for them. So making sure that they get um, revert support packages and little educational tools or access to community for free, like we want to give them as much as possible. So if you want to do a little something good, because remember, after we pass, the only things that are left are deeds. This is your call. You heard this for a reason. Go on, check out the link, and just give what you can, even if it's just the smallest thing. We're super grateful for you helping our women. We got to do this together. All right, so we are going to jump right into the podcast and go straight into the story of a sister I know you're going to love. All right, so let's get into the story of Hafsa. And what you're going to see is there's a lot of romance and love in this story, so I know you're going to like it. So hang on for a lot of like romance, jealousy, um, cute stuff. Um, fiery personality like I think you're really gonna love it so Hafsa bin Umar she may may Allah be pleased with them both um I want to start with her name her name in Arabic for uh, Hafsa refers to an elegant bird an elegant bird it's so beautiful but at the same time it can be a predator too subhanallah and this kind of embodies the character of Hafsa beautiful but powerful and a strong personality so I think right away that just blows our idea of women who are just quiet, oppressed, subservient, right? And so we're going to hear more about how that personality played out in her marriage with the Prophet, peace be upon him, with her relationship with Aisha and some of the other um, women. And so subhanAllah, you're going to see. But I just wanted to clarify something too here that um, in that time, we're talking about the time that like she's, she came into Islam very early on with her family. And um, there are some misinformation out there about um, her father, Umar, radiallahu anhu. And if you're not familiar, because I know we have all types of listeners here, maybe some of these names are like, oh my gosh, all this Arabic and blah, blah, blah. I, I know for some women who are um, not privy to the stories, or maybe you're new to Islam, or maybe you're learning about Islam. We have women from all over um, in their in their level of, of learning. So I just want to just address this really quick. Um, Umar, radiallahu anhu, and we're just saying kind of like, may Allah be pleased with him, right? Um, he was one of the best friends of the Prophet, peace be upon him. He's actually one of my one of my favorite characters on the male side. And I have some on the female side too. Um, and so subhanAllah, um, he was so strong. And I'm not going to go into his whole story now, but I will tell you this because it is so evident where Hafsa got her strength from, right? SubhanAllah. Um, Umar radiallahu anhu, before he became, like he took shahada and he accepted it from the Prophet, peace be upon him, when he when he led him to, to, this, uh, to this truth. 
before that, he was a force to be reckoned with. He was the guy in the tribe that you do not mess with. He had like anger issues. He was always wrestling. Matter of fact, he was drinking and he was just like, he was just a tough, tough guy, a guy of strength. And at the time before he, when he found out his, his sister had, you know, become Muslim, he was angry and he was going to go to the prophet and he was going to try to harm him or kill him. And this was his attitude. It was just like rough and angry. And, and that was before he took Shahada, right? Now, after he took Shahada, he was, he was equally strong, but in a different way, in a positive way. He was one of the strengths that the prophet said was going to like bring the deen into its strength. There were two Amaras and he was one of them that was super strong. And so, for example, um, I'll just say this last bit about him. Um, at the time when people were first becoming Muslim, and I want you to imagine the West right now, right? You guys, some of you guys are in Western countries where it's hard to practice your Islam. Or maybe you're in countries where you're supposed to be able to practice, but the Muslims around you are not practicing. And when you go to practice, people make you seem weird or extreme, okay? So here's the thing. At that time, the Muslims were hiding. They were doing a lot of like they didn't want to like mention their Muslim out loud, right? And here comes Omar, uh, Omar radiallahu anhu. He's just like, what? I'm going to tell everyone I'm Muslim. Ashhadu la ilaha illallah. He would go straight to the Kaaba. He would walk up. He was very public about his Islam. And he motivated the other Muslims to come out of their shell and to stop feeling ashamed or hiding or afraid about being Muslim in, an, in a non-Muslim setting. So he had extreme strengths. So if, if that is your struggle, you would love the story of Omar radiallahu anhu. So Hafsa was his daughter. <laughs> so you could see where she got some of her punch from, right? Subhanallah. Um, Hafsa radiallahu she was born in the year 605. And sometimes they say that Omar radiallahu because like he, like he came into the fold of Islam, before that was the time of jahiliyyah, which is the time of ignorance. That's the time before Islam came, right? And so some people made lies about him that um, he buried some of his daughters, but that's not true. The only thing that happened or changed for his daughters when was in the Prophet, peace be upon him, he actually changed one of their names from Asiya um, because like um, to Jamila because her name in the translation that they had was disobedient. And so obviously when you have a name that is negative, like dog or the one who, who worships Christ or the one who's not obedient to Allah, like you then can change the names. Otherwise, when you become Muslim, it's not obligatory to change your name. But, you know, alhamdulillah, if you want to change, you can. But the point is, in this case, that was the only thing that changed for his daughters. Other than that, um, there's nothing in our books of Sunnah that suggests that Omar radiallahu buried any of his daughters alive or anything like that, because that was a problem at that time. That's why I'm mentioning it. At that time, people did do that. It was a great sin that Islam stopped, alhamdulillah. So anyway, she was born in the year 605. She became Muslim in the Meccan period. And so she became Muslim very early on when Islam came to Mecca. And she made hijrah to Medina with her first husband. So not the prophet. She's younger. And she is married to her husband named Khunais. And he was also referred to as Abu Khunifa. And so what happened is sometimes people have what we call a kunya or a nickname. And he had this nickname, Abu Hanifa. And usually when you have... Um, uh, um, how you say, when you have a, a nickname like Abu something or Um something, it means like the father of, the mother of, and your first child, right? Your first son. But here he didn't actually have any children, but they would call him that, Abu Hanifa. So what happened is he became Muslim very, very early in Mecca. And he was one of the earliest Muslims at that time. And he married Hafsa and then they made hijrah. So um, this is something where the Umar radiallahu he loved him very much. He was one of the very early Muslims with him. And, and so subhanAllah, he was a very good young man. He believed in the Prophet, peace be upon him, early on. And he was described as having amazing traits of bravery and strength and courage. 
And the thing is, he fought in the Battle of Badr, and he also fa- uh, fought in the Battle of Uhud, and he suffered a wound that he ended up passing away from. And when he passed away, the Prophet, peace be upon him, led his funeral. Um, so he was a very young man, and so Hafsa was young as well. So she's a widow now at 21. All you 21-year-olds are people who remember their 20s. Like, that's a, that's a rough time. That's the time where you're usually trying to figure out who you are. But I want to remind us that people back in the day, they had a much younger time when they were married. They had much bigger responsibility. Right now, people who are 18 to 24 were like, let them relax, live in the house with their parents, let them go to college. If they want to work, they can. But this is our attitude to youth. At that time, oh no, these people were getting married. They were leading battles. They were they were leading groups of knowledge. They were extremely powerful. And so we have we have to really think about everything in the context of that time, not now, okay? So she's 21, and she is extremely bright, and she's a really strong believer, but she has lost her husband. And as soon as she finished her idda period, there's this waiting period after you're divorced or your husband has passed, um, her father, Amr al-Ghanu, he wanted to get a husband for her. So it's really interesting. So her, she didn't have any kids, right? Her husband passed away. But she's obviously super sad and... Um, you know, kind of depressed. And that obviously would happen to any woman. So even though she's a good believing woman, first of all, let's just acknowledge that she extremed the normal sadness that anyone would would go through. But the thing is that with the difference between a person who's really practicing and who's not is how long they stay sad. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to, it's a totally normal emotion. And if you guys have, um, heard my, you know, I have the course on how to master emotions. I have like the free class. I explain about emotions. Even negative emotions are not negative. They're often signs, signs that something has to change. So her father saw in her that, you know, we have to change her situation. She's really positive. We don't want to leave leave her in this state of vulnerability or stress or difficulty. And so he started to look for a husband and what he did automatically was go to the best of men that he knew. You see, at that time, nobody was looking for degrees. And we're about to talk about marriage um, in June, May to June. And I want you to start to think about, for the women who are thinking about marriage, how this woman carried herself as a young married woman or as a divorced, excuse me, as a widow. And then also when she was going to get married, how her father looked for her. And I know we don't always have the perfect family situations at home. And if you're someone right now who is married, and, you're go- and you have children who you will end up having to marry, again, pay attention to how the father went and looked for the best of men for her. He didn't go checking who had the degree, who went to what um, you know, circle of, of knowledge, or because they didn't have colleges back then. I want you to look at how he tried to choose for her and the emotional journey with that that he had. So he went straight to Uthman ibn Affan. And he had just um, lost, by the way, um, his wife, Ruqayya, who is the daughter of the Prophet, peace be upon him, in the Battle of Badr as well. So here we have a daughter of the Prophet that fought in a battle. So again, we have a window into women, not passive. They were fighting on the battlefield. So what happened is, subhanAllah, um, he had just lost his wife. So he is technically without a spouse as well. And so now he's single. And um, Allah know he was excellent. And so he went straight up to him and he wanted to have him, um, you know, consider his daughter. So he goes right up to him and says, what is your opinion about Hafsa? And obviously he's hinting to him that he wants him to think about marrying her, but he says it kind of indirectly. And um, he says, let me think about it. And they leave it at that, right? And Omar uh, he comes back to him the next day and Uthman, um, may Allah be pleased with him, increases his prayer 
So that when, when Umar comes behind him to like wait for him to finish praying, he made his prayer so long. He took his sweet time in like ruku'a and in like in, in sujood. He's just hanging out, praying, 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 hoping Umar will, will, will leave him and he can kind of avoid talking to him. So Amr al he's like, okay, so he gets up and he leaves. He couldn't wait. He's praying so long. But he comes back a couple days later and he asks him again. And he says, I'm not really interested in getting married right now. And so he basically made him wait all that time just to tell him, I'm not even interested. So it, it does sting a little bit when, when you go to ask somebody because you're like, well, why wouldn't you want to marry my daughter, right? So subhanAllah, Amr al he went to Abu Bakr, right? Now, the reason he didn't go to Abu Bakr first who's another best friend of the Prophet, is because he was already married. So Hafsa, in this case, would be a second wife. And so obviously he went to the single guy first because he was one of his, 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 his daughter to be married and to be the, the only wife for him at the time. He thought it was a better setup. But um, he knew that in the end, Abu Bakr uh, was excellent. Mind you, it's also a very good friend of his. But mind you, they're all very practicing. Unfortunately, what I see these days is I see people choose um, parents go to other families that they're really good friends with because they think it'll be great if everybody hangs out and, you know, lives together as families or celebrates as families for the rest of their lives or whatever. And here's the thing, the family has to be religious. So he's not just going to them because they're his friends. He's going to them because they are his um, or his confidants or people that he, he spends time with. He's going because he knows that they're good men and they're going to be good to his family, right? And so subhanAllah, he goes to him. And um, he he went to ask him, and he also, um, Abu Bakr, he said, let me think about it. And in one narration, um, he tells me, like, he tells him, let me think about it and get back to you. And um, and then when, when Omar gets there to show up to meet him, when he said he was going to meet him, he ends up like what we call these days, like ghosting him and like not being there and not answering. So it's clear that he's dodging him after a while. So here he has Uthman um, uh, ibn Affan dodging him. He has Abu Bakr dodging him. Now as a man, he's naturally going to be like, why do these guys not want to marry my daughter? This is kind of offensive, right? Even back then, low-key offensive, right? So subhanAllah, he's feeling like, like, what is that all about? So at this point, you know, he's sitting himself and he's thinking, he's like, he, they clearly don't want to see me. They're clearly dodging me. What do I do about it? So he went to the prophet, peace be upon him, and he inquired about this to take his opinion. He wanted to complain, get his advice, and everything about the situation. So there, there, he explained the situation to the prophet, peace be upon him, and the prophet says, he replied that your daughter will marry someone better than Uthman, and Uthman will marry someone better than your daughter. And subhanAllah, what did he mean by that? He meant that the prophet, peace be upon him, would be marrying Hafsa. And Uthman would be marrying another daughter of the prophets, which was um, Umm Kalthum. May Allah be pleased with him. So this was like the best news ever. Because like, you know, sometimes when you, you feel really down about something and then great news comes later, you realize that all the bad news came for a reason. Because something better was coming. How many times do we get upset because we feel like nothing is working out for us. No matter what I do, my du'as are not being answered. That's not the case, sisters. I've talked to many sisters where they don't realize that there is something Allah has better for them if they only knew. So I want to just implore to you, if that's something you're going through, keep waiting because sometimes Allah has amazing things, but he needs to test our resolve. He needs to test our sincerity. And so subhanAllah. Now the prophet has basically told him that he's going to marry his daughter. So he's just like, I mean, what 
better is to marry than that. And so subhanAllah, Omar's obviously excited, but he was still kind of like upset with the guys, right? And um, at one point he saw Abu Bakr and he said, are you mad at me? And Uthman the same. And Umar said, yes, of course. Like, see, they were, they were very straight up back in the day. Nobody's like, oh, I don't know, maybe. Like, nobody's like being shady. They were very, very, subhanAllah, straightforward. This is something we've lost in these days. And and they came to him and they felt bad. And they said, listen, Umar, nothing stopped us. Nothing stopped us from marrying Hafsa, meaning both of us, either of us, whoever you came to would have accepted your proposal. Had we not heard the Prophet, peace be upon him, mentioning her and confiding in us that he was um, somehow indicating he was interested in marrying her. And so the scholars say that the Prophet, peace be upon him, he used to do these things at the time. And a lot of his marriages, if you guys are um, confused ever, they're not for the sake of marrying because we're developing a deen here. A lot of times it was to solidify relationships, to solidify relationships between different people within um, within the, the deen at that time to make it strong. So for example, Abu Bakr, he was married to his daughter. Okay, and Omar marries his daughter, and Uthman married two of his daughters, and Ali married his beloved Fatima. Um, and so, subhanAllah, um, we want to put in our mind that when he made relationships between the strongest people in Islam at that time, it was to have really strong ties of kinship so that they would marry each other's um, into each other's families to make the deen strong. And, um, then those people would have strong offspring and those people would find the most religious in that time and, and have strong offspring. And that is how the deen grew and got got incredibly strong. So Hafsa, Hafsa was married to the Prophet, peace be upon him, when she was about that, that year, 21 years old. And, you know, subhanAllah, she had a great romance with the Prophet. So that's what I want to get into in this part. She had a great romance with the Prophet. And she would say even, um, he would kiss me even when we're fasting. Now Some of us are fasting now. So we're like, whoa, what does that mean? Obviously not with like intention of anything, just showing that like they were very affectionate with each other. But her personality, as Aisha described, was that she was the daughter of her father, which means she had a temper. She had a very strong personality. And Aisha and Hafsa, even though they weren't exactly the same age, they were somewhat similar in age and they actually got along pretty well. They kind of like gelled in that way and they would fight here and there, but then they were kind of always back in the same camp again. And so, um, they had their issues, but most of the time they were together in moments and even sometimes they competed over the prophet. And so what you're going to notice here is this, this, this amazing balance where women were angry, but then they resolved it. They would, they would do something not good and then they would resolve it. And this is just an amazing example to us that there is no perfection. There is only amazing obedience in terms of to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They feared Allah. They weren't like fearing their husbands. They were fearing Allah. And because they loved Allah so much, they ran to make tawbah. They ran to fix their situations. And so subhanAllah, there was this great romance. And um, there was this hadith narrated by Asha radiallahu anha that um, the Prophet peace be upon him, he drew lots. And the lots came for both her and Hafsa. And they, he would take both Hafsa, this is her narrating, both Hafsa and I on a journey and um, to go with the Prophet. And so subhanAllah, um, she narrates that in the night, the Prophet would walk and stand next to her camel and he would talk to me all night, she said. And so at one point in the journey, Hafsa would come and say, how about we switch camels for the night so I can experience some of what you're experiencing and you could experience some of what I experience, whatever that is. And so the prophet said, um, 
you know, that the prophet then went to the camel uh, of Hafsa and he stood next to it and he walked with her and he talked to her all night. And so they were very forward with each other, right? So they would talk to each other and say, hey, how about this? I'm experiencing that. And they would talk to each other because they were women of Dean. okay? However, <laughs> that doesn't mean they weren't human. So in that situation where um, the prophet was walking next to Hafsa and talking to her all night, you know what Aisha said? She said, I was making dua the whole time that he's there. She's like on the camel behind them. I'm making dua to Allah all night to send a scorpion to bite me so that I would fall unconscious, so that I wouldn't do anything that was going to hurt the Prophet, peace be upon him. Because now she's jealous riding in the camel behind him and Prophet, peace be upon him, and Hafsa talking and enjoying each other the whole time. And so subhanAllah, this was halal. This was totally halal. And Allah does everything for a reason. And what you're going to know is that most of the time, even in the situation of the Prophet, he didn't always necessarily want to marry someone or not. Sometimes he got revelations. Sometimes it was just like all different things. But the point is, a lot of it, again, was to build the deen. And the women were so amazing and so strong. So I know you're going to love Hafsa. And it's kind of interesting because here we have Aisha. Instead of her trying to like curse anyone, she felt something bad coming on in her heart towards the other. And so she asked for Allah to stop her, to save her from herself. And, you know, there are some beautiful du'a. And um, I was talking about the, the, the book, The Fortress of the Muslim, inside of um, my Instagram. And there's some beautiful dua where you can ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to protect you from yourself. Um, and at the end of the day, sometimes we are our own worst enemy. Our emotions will get the best of us. Our sadness, our depression, our anxiety. We say things we don't mean. We hurt people. We, um, you know, we deal with people wrong. So she was asking for Allah to protect her from herself. And so subhanAllah. Um, and so also there was this situation in um, Ramadan where um and we're in ramadan now so i thought that was a cute one to mention is that there's um a narration where the prophet peace be upon him um Aisha, she goes to the prophet and she asks him permission to perform atikaf again here's more proof that women also did atikaf and if you have any questions about the last two nights that we're going into i definitely um suggest to you that you look into that and all the permissions but women had permission and stuff to do all these things but again look into with scholars and in the last two nights so the prophet peace be upon him he gave her permission so she went ahead and she pitched her tent and she began to do atkaf. And Hafsa came. Now, mind you, the same Hafsa that they were jealous over each other. She came to Aisha with respect and she asked Aisha for permission. Not the Prophet, peace be upon him. She asked Aisha for permission to um, make atkaf with her. And so they're still friends here. And they did. So they were together and all of a sudden, here comes along Zainab, one of the other wives of the Prophet, and she went and pitched her tent. And when the Prophet saw this, he started to wonder, is their intention right, righteousness or is this some sort of like competition? Are they doing this for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or is this just to compete for me? So that year, the Prophet, peace be upon him, left Atikaf and decided to let them, if you're truly meaning it for that, then you all go ahead and perform etiquette. And so um, basically it was like a test for them. Um, and so are you competing f with each other for Allah, subhanahu wa ta'ala, or for your husband? 
And so if you're truly sincere, you'll be good, right? And you'll do it alone. So the next year, the prophet actually added an additional 10 nights because he missed it. So again, this shows you the overall competition that even happens sometimes between these quote unquote, like these religious women, right? So we have Aisha, Hafsa, Zainab, but again, Hafsa and Aisha were often together. They were often like buddying up. So the next um, little mini story I want to tell you is that Hafsa and Aisha, they actually buddied up on something against the Prophet. They were like plotting against the Prophet. And, and later on, their ayat of Quran came um, mentioning how Allah was displeased with them. But I want you to understand, I know we have this idea that these are women in the, in the past, they're perfect. And so I can never be like that. But here they have jealousy. Here they do things that might be competitive because women are naturally competitive. And yet they correct themselves straight after. If after they came to the understanding that the Prophet left them for Atikaf, they put in their mind, subhanAllah, and they corrected their heart. Maybe I didn't have, you know, whatever Allahu Alam ha happened, they always corrected their heart. They would reflect and correct, reflect and correct. And this is the main message you're going to see woven through all of these stories. I want you to keep paying attention. So in this one, the, the prophet, one, one, one time, he spent some extra time in the house of Zainab and he drank some of the honey in her house. So Hafsa and Aisha decided that when the prophet, peace be upon him, comes to their house, they would act like the prophet, peace be upon him, his breath, it smelled bad from the honey of Zainab. And Hafsa sort of agreed to this, you know, with Aisha. And so that's what happened. When he came to the, the house of Aisha, she showed her disapproval. Same thing with Hafsa to the prophet. And, um, and when he saw their reaction, he had forbade himself from um, drinking the honey or eating the honey anymore because he really cared about his breath. He always used miswak. He wanted to be clean. He went, you know, as a good Muslim. And so as soon as they told him it was like abhorrent to them, he didn't want it. And that's when the ayats of Quran came in Surah Tahrim where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, are you making something forbidden that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made permissible for you? And he also later on in this, he um, invited Aisha and Hafsa to make tawbah as they disclosed their secret to one another and plotted against the Prophet. He didn't call their names out in the Quran, but he, he, he um, referred to these these two. And Ibn Abbas, he even said at one point, I wanted to ask Omar Ibn al-Khattab an entire year when this ayat came down. I wanted to ask him about these verses but I was too shy. He wanted to ask the father of Hafsa about this. So finally, one day we were all together and we were picking some sawak from the Iraq tree. And eventually they, we got into chatting and he asked him, you know, were these two women, the women Allah referred to, was that your daughter and the other one? And Omar cut him off almost as if he was like annoyed with him. And he, he said like, uh, yeah, his daughter and Hafsa and Aisha. And he started giving him this long narration after that. Um, and subhanAllah, um, and got into this other other story I want to tell you. But as you can see here, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala corrected them. But I want to tell you something even more amazing about the Prophet and how he interacted with his wife. So you can get an idea of normal behavior for, for husbands and wives that happens, but also how things are managed and how people stay um, within their deen at the same time. So Omar radiallahu anhu, he starts giving this long narration that in the time of Jahiliyyah, um, women, you know, Jahiliyyah, again, before Islam came, before Islam came, they didn't show respect for women. 
But when Islam came, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala assigned women rights, more rights. And so we start to treat them well. But at the same time, because we were used to like never having them in regard, sometimes we didn't let them interfere with our affairs. Like we just didn't. Like, you know, we kind of kept that cultural bit. We didn't really like involve them in everything. And that still happens today, unfortunately, right? In some cultures, not from Islam, but in the cultures. And so he says in that time, women kind of knew their place and they didn't really get involved in our business. That's what he was telling him. But then we came to Medina and everything changed. The women of Mecca met the women of Medina and they changed. So that happens sometimes, right? You come into another culture, another land, and you start to see how women deal with things there. And so they change. So he found their women were different. So he said, one day my wife and I got into an argument. This is Omar radiallahu talking. And we were fighting and we got into an argument and she raised her voice to me. And I responded that this is strange that you're responding to me in this way. I've never seen you respond to me in this way before. So he notices that change in his wife. And she says, you know, like that she had the audacity to talk in that way to him. She, he found it odd. And she said, um, how interesting that you find this odd for me. Your daughter responds to the prophet in this way. And he was shocked. He was surprised. He's like, my daughter, my daughter raises her voice and yells to the prophet, peace be upon him. And so he went straight to the house of his daughter, Hafsa. Uh, may Allah be pleased with her and the prophet, peace be upon him. And at that moment, when he's going to talk to his daughter about this thing he heard, he heard her raising her voice in that very moment to the prophet, peace be upon him. And he narrates, I didn't even sleep that night. And later I went to Hafsa and I said, you're raising your voice with the prophet? Are you arguing with him? And she said, yeah, you know, we do it all the time, <laughs> you know? And he said, uh, Hafsa, don't think you are like Aisha. And he said, you are not to the prophet what she is, nor is your father what Abu Bakr is to him. Like we're, our place isn't as high status as them. We can't, we can't be talking to him like this. And after that, he, he still couldn't get over it. He went and complained to Umm Salama, which is another one of the wives of the prophet. And he told her like, oh my gosh, you know, this is crazy. I don't know why she's yelling like this. And she said, isn't it amazing that you're intervening in the affairs of the messenger's life so much that you're trying to monitor the arguments between him and his wife? Like, it was her nice way of saying, is that really your business? Like, that's not even your business. And so, like, he backed off. But this is how they talked to the prophet at times. This is what it was. And, you know, she would say this, Umm Salama, like, we're husband and wife too. This is normal. Sometimes we argue. This is how we talk. So for the woman that thinks she's horrible, I'm not, I'm not encouraging everyone to go argue with their husbands. I'm trying to say, when we have strong emotions, it is, it is understandable. Now, did they sometimes go too far? Yes. And I'm going to tell you right now a time when they did go too far, because just because you're arguing doesn't mean that's acceptable. Like you, you can raise your voice at some level if you have to get your point across, but it's not like it's acceptable to do on a regular basis or to do it in certain types of manner where you're going to not correct yourself after. I mean, this, my point is like, this happens sometimes we, we lose our emotion, but we have to pull ourselves back just like with the kids, right? Sometimes we feel super frustrated from the kids, but we have to pull ourselves back. So there's this one time where the prophet peace be upon him, actually he divorced Hafsa because of this. And he took her back with uh, a revocable divorce. And I want to say this. Some people say that in Islam, it's, it's permissible to hit women. You know, this is another nonsense, right? Because it, this is the truth is if, if someone was going to hit their wife, it would be right before they divorced her. Like they would have a right, right? If they wanted to hit her, they could do that then and divorce her. 
But it is many um, proofs that this actually never happened with the Prophet, peace be upon him. It was never a part of the Sharia to hit his wife for anyone who's Muslim to hit their wife. And even Aisha testified that the Prophet never did this. He never hit his wives. He was never verbally abusive. He was always in an overall calm demeanor. Now, Hafsa would argue a lot with the Prophet, peace be upon him, and he did divorce her at this point, actually. But guess what happened? I'm talking she has a strong, fiery personality, right? But she's also an amazing believer. And so, subhanAllah, um, the angel Jibreel actually came and interceded for her. And he said to the Prophet to take her back. He actually told the Prophet, take her back. Because she is a woman who always fasts, she always prays Qiyam al-Layl, and she will be a wife for you in Jannah. Take her back. So we see here that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has the angel Jibreel talking to the prophet about that. And let's notice what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala held in regard. Her beautiful fasting, her beautiful prayers in the night, and her, her, like her adab in this way. If, if she has all this, this, this fasting, that means she's very able to control herself as much as she's strong. Think about your fasting right now, ladies. How hard is it when you're in Ramadan to control yourself with the fasting? Things are hard, right? You get a little irritated. This. She's doing that. And then she's also standing in prayer all night. So, but she's not like 100% super quiet. She still has her personality. You're allowed to have your personality as long as you stand within the boundaries of Islam. So every time she made any of these mistakes, she would return back to her senses and correct it immediately. Are we doing that in our life? If we have a little fiery personality, are we correcting or are we kind of letting things go on? Are we making tawbah or are we kind of like not really doing that daily? That's the difference. That's the difference. And you see, so we're not far from the ability of, of being as good as these women if we are putting the effort in the deen and remembering that when we make that mistake, we rush to correct it. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves those who make tawbah and correct themselves. So as we come to a close here, I want to say what's important to know about Hafsa is she was a half of that Quran. Here's another thing. Yeah, she's not just like fiery, like whatever, put up with me. No, she's a woman who has a strong personality. But remember her father too, but for the deen, passionate, passionate. She's very passionate in a good way, not in a disobedient, um, like offensive coming out of her senses kind of a, a strength. That's not what I'm talking about. She's a, con- a controlled strength. So that's what we're shooting for, ladies. If you, if you find somebody you have a strong personality, you're looking for a controlled personality of strength. You know, we don't want to fly off on people. And so she also put time in for, to memorize the Quran. She had to put time in. That shows that she had a schedule. And every day she had time where she memorized Quran. And she was one of the few that were literate at the time she could read and write. And she was called the guardian of the Quran. Because at one point, Abu Bakr radiallahu, he, he ordered the mushaf to be put together, the Quran to be put together and to pass it on to give it to Omar. And this is a whole other conversation, but just throwing it out there. And then after that, it went and it was given to Hafsa to hold and she guarded the Quran. And, um, you know, subhanAllah, the Prophet, peace be upon him, he was so humble. No matter what he did, he is so, so humble. And um, even though he had so many people following him, he never got into material this or that. And subhanAllah, there was this one point after the Prophet, peace be upon him, had passed away where Umar ibn al-Khattab, he was alive. And he was the Khalifa. He was the leader at that time. And Hafsa, she looked at her dad and she said, you know, dad, um, Abi, why don't you dress nicer? You're Amir al-Mu'minin now, right? Yeah, Abiti. My dad, you know, why don't you, why don't you dress a bit nicer now? It's okay for you. And he said, don't you remember how your husband used to dress? She's referring to the prophet, right? Don't you remember how your husband used to dress? And then they both began to cry. 
and they consoled one another over the death of the prophet, peace be upon him. So this is extreme, extreme love for one another between the father and his daughter. We don't find this, oh, I'm too strong and big for you. No, he loved his daughter, passionate about his daughter. She was passionate about her father. This is the way daughters were treated well. This is the way that women were treated. They didn't dismiss her because she was like, oh, you know, she's fiery. She's off the handle. No, they would help her wield it for good, for khair. And they both loved the Prophet, peace be upon him. They loved the deen. And when Umar radiallahu was dying, and this is a story I really want to tell you guys because it's really important for salah. I know a lot of us are struggling right now. It's mid-Ramadan and people are struggling for salah. They're struggling for focus. Maybe your emotions are getting the best of you. You're trying to feel down. Um, this is an amazing story about the importance of Salah and, and how serious the Salah was taken. And in this time, just ending here, I want to say that Umar radiallahu, her father, the father of Hassa, um, he was wounded really badly. And we know that Umar, if you don't know his story, and I'm going to probably tell it a little bit because it's a really good story to know. He had a pretty gruesome death and um, his stomach was cut open or his abdomen was cut open during the Fajr prayer. So I want you to imagine, I'm not trying to get too gory here, but his his... His insides were hanging out of his stomach. That's how he's dying, okay? And he's still trying to pray because not in that time exactly, the prayer later on when he's passing in and out of consciousness. But she had such a relationship with her father and such a love for her father that as he was passing, she was crying so loudly. They said like the loudest cries they've ever heard from her. And when Omar would ask her, Umar radiallahu, he would ask her to calm down, please as the wailing makes it harder on the deceased. Like when someone is passing, we shouldn't cry profusely and loudly because it actually harms the deceased. And so she saw the death of her father and it really, really shook her. Later on in her life, she ended up taking care of the orphans in the house of Zayd ibn Khattab, her uncle. And she ended up dying in the time of uh, Muawiyah, 42 years after the Hijrah, at this point when she is 62 years old. And she was buried in the Baqiyah, in the, uh, the grave site, where if you go there, they stay in Medina, you will see. So subhanAllah, sisters, I know that was a lot of mini stories, but I think they are a beautiful window into the life of some of the strongest, greatest women who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loved. He loved so much, he would send an angel to intercede for her to talk to the Prophet, even though she would sometimes get a little loud or be strong-headed, but she was passionate and she did her job as, as a believer. And so what I want to say is, when we think about becoming amazing in the rest of Ramadan and we're pushing for the best version of ourselves. We're not pushing for someone else's best version. We're looking for the best version of ourselves of the purpose Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created us. I want you to take these last 10 nights and I want you to take them seriously and I want you to think about you. I don't want you to think about posts you saw on Instagram. I want you to think about some YouTube video you saw when everybody told you to do and you got to go race and do 8,000 things. I want you to do better and push harder in the last 10 nights. But I want you to really deeply reflect on your life, on your personality, on your emotions, on your relationship with Allah, where you are in this deen, if you're upholding your salah. And I want you to think of priority, prioritize what is the fard? Am I, am I keeping with the salah? Let me go there first before I'm trying to read like 80 ages of Quran, but I'm like sleeping through all the prayers. Like let's prioritize. Let's have some deep reflection and connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in these last 10 nights. And you are not in competition with anyone, sisters, anyone but yourself. Yourself a month ago, yourself a year ago, yourself last Ramadan. And just remember, and I'll say this last reminder, every Ramadan is different. Don't say, oh my gosh, last Ramadan, I was so amazing. This one, I'm messing it up. You know what? You're in a different chapter of your life now. Maybe it's not the same chapters back then. Let's take that into account. Let's not to be too hard on ourselves. But at the same time, let's not be too easy. We're making so many excuses that we're not really trying. Allah Kareem. Allah knows when we are. 
May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make it easy for you. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept all of your ibadah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept all your fasting. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gather us in a gathering banner. In Jannah for Dawsa, Amin Rabbil Alameen. I love you, sisters, for the sake of Allah. I will see you in the next podcast. We're going to have another amazing set of stories. I hope you love this one. And the story of Hafsa, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to become all or at least half of her greatness. And um, and may we try very hard in these last days to push to the best versions of ourselves. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Just wanted to give a shout out to Nadia Hassan and uh, Sadia KR. Thank you so much for sharing the story. And I even saw you sharing pictures of you driving in the car, listening to me. I absolutely love it. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reward you for everything that you're sharing to help other women and inspire them to be good as well. And I look forward to seeing you again on Instagram. Assalamu alaikum.